Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. This is our greatest act of worship. It's our greatest act of worship because it's costly. And we don't let go in order to make ourselves acceptable to Him. And that's unfortunately what some people do. They do go through these things to do it in order to somehow in their minds, they think it's going to make them more worthy of, of Jesus. But look, he's not asking you to make yourself acceptable. So we don't do it for that reason. There's no need to do that because like Matthew, he has accepted us as we are. He accepted us as we are. But but we simply let go and we leave behind and, and we go forward into the unknown with Jesus as an act of our worship of him. You see, Matthew is leaving behind the life that he once knew. And it was a profitable life. Make no mistake about that. It was a profitable life. Even the fact that he could hold a party like this would tell you that there's some wealth to this man. And he's willing to leave this, this life, this, this profitable life in a material sense behind for a life with Jesus that he doesn't yet even understand what that's going to be all about, you know? But he makes the sacrifice nonetheless, and he follows him, never to return to reclaim that part of his life ever again. That is worship. That is worship. May we all be willing to do the same thing in worship of the Christ who we have said yes to that we would follow. May we be willing to let go and to simply follow Jesus because of that gracious offer he has made to us to be his disciples. Well, secondly, Luke tells us in this passage that not only have the tax tax collectors gathered for this shindig, but Jesus is there too. Right. In fact, Matthew's holding this dinner in honor of Jesus and his relationship that he's now forming with Matthew. And so he's extended this invitation to Jesus to attend. And, and Jesus has clearly accepted Matthew's invitation. Now, I find this interesting because I see a really cool contrast in this. I mean, think about this for a minute. Jesus extended an invitation to Matthew to follow him into a new life that Matthew accepted. But now Matthew has reciprocated by extending an invitation to Jesus to be his guest of honor at his farewell dinner to his old life, which Jesus has accepted. Maybe it's just me, but I think it's kind of cool. You know, there's no major spiritual point to that. I just think it's really cool that that contrast exists here. But third note, Luke also brings to our attention that the Pharisees have shown up in some capacity. The Pharisees have shown up now. It's interesting if you read commentaries or anything that there, there are a lot of teachers who believe that the, the Pharisees are showing the hypocrisy because they're at the dinner, too. I, you know, I got to tell you, I find that idea highly unlikely. I don't think they're at the dinner. These guys already look down their noses at the tax collectors and to be seen attending a party, and they're about to criticize Jesus, to, to be seen at a party, uh, you know, being thrown by a tax collector would be spiritually beneath them from their point of view. And it would, in their view, sully their externally righteous reputation that they hold. And they would never do that. 
Oh, they might sin in secret, but they ain't going to do it in public in a way that they think would cause, and I'm not saying it's sin for Jesus to be here, it's not, but in their mind it is. And they're not going to sully their own reputations by that. So I suggest that they'd simply been following Jesus around and they were hanging around outside the dinner while Jesus is inside at the party. That is the most likely case. But they're there, they're just not inside, they're outside looking in. But one thing is clear. It doesn't take long for these guys to show up on the scene and to make their critical commentary about it all. You know, that's how self-righteous sin sniffers are. I have used that word for years because I've been around people like that sometimes. You know, they're just sin sniffers. They're looking for an opportunity to find something going on in your life, something that stinks, something from their perspective that doesn't smell right. And they're always looking for here with Jesus, and they're following the scent of anything that they consider to be out of order and sinful from their perspective. And I say from their perspective, because their perspective on these things is not necessarily God's perspective, right? Their perspective is not necessarily God's perspective. And, and, and there's also no question that Jesus has gotten their attention. I mean, Jesus has done that, and, and their appearance at this event in whatever capacity that they're there, and, and the interactions which Luke records for us reveals that Jesus is clearly in their crosshairs now. You know, in the beginning, when they came out to check out Jesus, it was because he, they were interested. They, he had drawn their attention, and, and they, were, they were curious about him. But, but it's clear now, and the turn has occurred in, in this gospel, and this is what we're going to see from this point forward. When they're encountering Jesus now, it, it's not because they're coming to, to learn from him, but it's, it's because they're coming out with some self-serving, malicious interests that they now have in him and they're not hanging around to find out what Jesus is teaching because they sincerely want to understand and and to learn from him but they're on a mission to unseat this spiritual upstart this unauthorized itinerant preacher who who's overturning their ideas of what spirituality is or should be and threatening their authority and power over the people and they're not going to put up with that so now Jesus is in their crosshairs and remember these guys they derived their power from the spiritual rules, from the spiritual regulations, from the spiritual traditions that they have added to the law, and which they've set themselves up as the arbiters of spirituality through the enforcement of these things. They, they made up the rules, and they get to enforce the rules, and anything that would challenge that threatens their power base, because they're controlling the people through this. And it's bad enough that Jesus has come upsetting their authority with the people by disregarding the spiritual system that these guys have set up. But now he's even hanging out with sinners like Matthew and these other tax collectors and inviting them. I mean, think about this. He Not only is he hanging out with them, he's inviting them to come be his disciples. Oy vey. <laughs> that cannot happen from this perspective of these guys. This cannot happen. You know what? I, and, and I don't want to spend time on this too long because I'm sure you know it too, but, but folks like this still exist among us today. They exist today in Christianity. They're still here. You know, I remember back yesterday was the, I don't know how many of you guys know Pastor Chuck Smith, but, but if you know anything about Calvary Chapel, you know it started with Pastor Chuck. And, and as he went down and he witnessed to the hippies on the beaches, you know, and, and he started sharing the gospel and opening up the scriptures and teaching the hippies and the hippies started coming to faith in Christ. And, and, and it was simple invitation. Come follow. 
come follow. No, he didn't condone sinful things. Not at all. He taught them the scripture, showed them why the life that Christ was now in them was going to lead them into these things, you know, and, and that now they needed to follow him into the righteousness that Christ was leading them. But, but he reached out to them and, and like Jesus, you know, dealing with the tax collectors at this party. And, and the movement began to grow, and Pastor Chuck never had a desire. Yesterday was, by the way, a reason I brought up is yesterday was seven years since Chuck went home to be with the Lord. And, you know, as he, he often said, you know, when he first went down there, he had no vision. He didn't go down there to build a church. He didn't go down there to grow this 25-person congregation that he had. He just wanted to share the gospel with these men and women that were lost, so lost. And he went, and at first he didn't even want to go. His wife had to talk him into it. He just saw him as dirty, filthy hippies, and they ought to get a job. And his wife said, man, we ought to go down and meet some. You ever meet one? Maybe we ought to meet one, you know? And he went down, he fell in love with them. He saw the, the, the emptiness in them. He saw the hole in their hearts. And he knew that Jesus was the only solution, began to share Jesus simply with them from the Scriptures, teaching them the Scriptures. And they began to come to faith in Christ. It's amazing when you go back and read the accounts of what was happening. It was happening in other circles of Christianity as well. The same thing was happening. But yeah, there is, if you read back in the records on this stuff historically, you will find, and, and you can even see some of the teachings that were out there, these teachers within Christianity that were preaching against him and what he was doing. It, it's like right off the pages of what we're reading right here. You know, they, they, they're just leading them into licentiousness. They're just approving of their sin by hanging out with them. It was on and on and on. And why is that? Because the Pharisees are still here. They're still here. They're still here. Every time the law matters more than the heart, they're here. When the power of an authority uh, of spiritual things matters more than, than the transformation of a human heart to true righteousness, righteousness being written on the heart, not legislated to the heart. They're still here and they're still with us. And their power is still threatened, none just the same as it was in this day with Jesus. They're still here. So these guys, they're, they're, they're not at all happy about what Jesus is doing. And, and, and they're hanging around on the fringes while Jesus is at this party and they're criticizing for, for what he's doing and, and grumbling about him. You know that word grumbling literally in the Hebrew or in the Greek literally means they were buzzing like bees. They were buzzing like bees over what Jesus was doing. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were hovering around and they were buzzing like a swarm of angry bees watching what Jesus is doing. And here's the real rub. And note this. They aren't taking their issues about Jesus to Jesus. Who are they taking their issues to? To his disciples, to the people hanging around. They're not going to Jesus with it. Do you get what they're trying to do? These guys are so morally timid and weak that even though they have problems with Jesus, they are too cowardly to address those concerns directly with him. And instead, what they do is they try to backdoor him with his disciples, trying to undermine him with his followers. This is nothing more than a scriptural backbiting and divisiveness and manipulation. That's all it is. It's nothing less than that. You know, again, it's interesting, and, and I know you'll relate to this in some ways, maybe in places you've been, but it's interesting how stuff like this still happens in Christian circles as well. It happens in churches, and it destroys them. It destroys them. A small group of people discontent with their pastor or with their leaders and the way things are being done in their church begin to grumble, and they complain amongst themselves. And then they're not content to just kind of keep it there, which is bad enough. But what they then do is they decide they need to do something about it. 
And then instead of doing what they should do if they feel the need to do anything about it, instead of taking their concerns, their complaints, their grievances to the person that they're bothered with, their pastor, the elders, their church leaders, their board members, whatever, who are the focus of their concerns, they instead begin to take it to others in the congregation with the clear intent of undermining those that they have issues with. And what they're really trying to do is to prop themselves up. They're trying to prop themselves up and to build a coalition for themselves, just like the Pharisees are doing. And it doesn't just happen with, in regard to church leadership. I mean, it happens between Christians themselves. Someone has a grievance against another brother or sister in Christ in the fellowship. And instead of taking that grievance to that brother or sister, they begin to grumble and they begin to complain to others, undermining that person that they have issues with in in the hearts of others, trying to build a coalition of allies for themselves against that person that they're so bothered with. Gang, I'm just going to tell you that kind of behavior is scripturally wrong and is absolutely destructive. It destroys churches. And it destroys people, you see. In fact, one pastor I I really respect and listened to a long time ago, he said this. He said, when we engage in this kind of stuff, we are in many cases engaging in murder. We're committing murder. Oh, even though we're not committing murder in a physical sense, we're committing murder nonetheless as we murder people in the hearts of those that we're taking our complaints and grievances to. When I come to you and I begin to gripe about, you know, I come to to Clark to gripe about Tony, I'm destroying Tony in Clark's heart, whether he knows it or not. I'm murdering, you see. This guy's right. Because when we're finished complaining and backbiting and gossiping, we have in many cases murdered people in the hearts of others. We've sullied their reputations. We've undermined them personally, and we've degraded them. We've humiliated them, and all with no opportunity for them to even defend themselves. By the time they could even get around to defending themselves, it's generally too late. So you see, churches destroyed by it and lives destroyed. Boy, I would just encourage you to do this. Take time this week to do a search in your Bible concordance for words like this, backbiting, gossip, divisive. Look those words up this week in a concordance and see what the scriptures, look up the scriptures associated with those words and see what those scriptures have to say about it because none of it is good. Not not a bit of it is good. It's, It's not the kind of behavior that we as God's people are ever to engage in. And And what does scripture tell us we're to do when we have a grievance? Matthew 18 makes that clear, right? Go seek that person out. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. You can read that later today on your own, but go seek that person out. One-on-one, take your grievance to them. Sit down with them. Talk to them about it. If they won't hear you, if they won't receive it, well, then take somebody else with you. That can be not your ally, (laughs) but that neutral person that can hear both sides of the issue and help. And if it's still not resolved, then it goes to the church, you see. And it goes to church leadership to help get it resolved. If we just follow what the scripture said, it would change so many things. But, but Jesus' instruction doesn't just stop with that. You know, he goes, he goes further by getting to the, to the truly desired end that he has for us when it comes to our grievances with others. Because at the end of that passage in Matthew 18, after verse 20, he says in verse 21, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And what's Jesus' answer? Up to seven, Peter says up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. You know what that is? 
It means ad infinitum. Now, I know we take that verse out of its context and we just apply it individually, but it goes with the preceding passage. (laughs) It goes right there with what Jesus just talks about, how we reconcile with others, how we deal with our grievances with others. But at the end, the real end that Jesus wants is forgiveness. He wants forgiveness. And that's how we're to behave, not in the backdoor manner like the Pharisees are doing or these hypocritical religious leaders they're doing. Yet oftentimes this is exactly what happens. God's people act more like these religious hypocrites than they do, than they realize. May it never be said of us here. May it never be said of us. And I'm just going to tell you in a personal note, I didn't say it up front. And sometimes when a pastor goes off on like this, people think in the back of their minds, I wonder if there's something going on. You know, look, you know, I can tell you that I am really proud of this congregation. I've been here now for 19 years. And I can tell you over that 19 years, we, we have dealt very little with this kind of stuff. We really have. That doesn't mean people haven't had grievances. We've had people with grievances. And you know what? We've handled them amicably. In some cases, those people have moved on. And because of those grievances, we couldn't get to the place. We agreed to disagree, but that disagreement was too much. And they moved on. And that's okay. But but we've had very few cases where it turned into backbiting and divisiveness and this faction against that faction and allies being built against those. You see, I've rarely seen anybody do this kind of stuff. I've rarely seen them do it with each other in this congregation. And I'm really proud of that. Because a lot of times it's got nothing to do with leadership. It's got all to do with the individual believers amongst themselves. And I've seen very little as backbiting and gossiping about believers between believers. I think it's because we've taught these scriptures this way. And people understand it. And you guys, you know, here, out there, (laughs) have seen it for what it is. And you've recognized it when people have come to you and tried to catch an ear. And you've turned it off for their sakes. Not just for your own, but for their sakes, to help them so that they don't go down a road that they should not go down. And it's corrected things, and it's kept us together, and it's enabled us to continue to move. And 19 years later, here we are. We're still here, and we haven't been torn apart by all sorts of divisive things. May that continue well into the future, but it will only continue insofar as we are willing to yield ourselves to what God has asked of us in his word here. Don't be, what's the old expression, don't be like, you know? Don't be like the Pharisees, is mine. Don't be like the Pharisees doing these kinds of things. And so here, the stage is set. Jesus is at this party, and the self-righteous sin sniffers are watching from the wings and buzzing like bees in their complaints to the disciples about it all. And what is their chief complaint? It's simple. Why would Jesus be at something like this? Why would Jesus be at something like this? Why would a truly spiritual man of God associate himself with such people at such an event? (laughs) You see, in addition to simply wanting to find issue with Jesus, they are revealing their own thoughts about spirituality, what it is, what it looks like. But their view is not God's view. And and Jesus is clearly not meeting their view of spirituality because he is God in the flesh. Spirituality to them meant you didn't associate with sinners at all. You didn't do that because even the look of it would be bad spiritually it meant to them that you in no way involved yourself with sinners in anything that they're doing even if you're not actively participating in some sinful behavior with them in their spiritual reasoning your very presence with sinners communicated approval of the sinful things that they were doing it doesn't matter how pure your motives are or how righteous you're being, it, it, you know, or how important you feel it is to be with them. You become one of them by being with them in the things that they're doing. And in the process, you silently conduct their sinful behavior through your presence. That's how these guys were thinking. And there's a lot of people 
who still think that way today. In their view, what you should be doing is separating yourself from these people, these kinds of people. Separate yourself from them and do everything you can to draw attention to their shameful acts of sin that they're engaging in. Shaming them for it. Isolating them. You You don't reach sinners by being with them. You reach sinners by setting yourself apart from them so that they can come to know how sinful they really are. And essentially the view of the Pharisees, like the view of the religious people today, is that if sinners want to be accepted by the religious community, then they need to take steps to clean themselves up first and prove the sincerity of their desire to be spiritual. Then they can be accepted, you see. And so far as these guys were concerned, if Jesus was truly a spiritual man, he would have nothing to do with these sinful people. And if these sinful people truly wanted to be with a spiritual teacher like Jesus claims to be, then they would stop what they're doing first and clean up their act. And then, and only maybe then, only maybe then, would they be worthy of his attention. Because that's how it would work with them, you see. But this isn't the view that Jesus holds. Look on, look, he, he expressed it to him first through his presence with these sinners, but now he's going to put it into words. Look what he says in verse 31. Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now note carefully what Jesus is saying here, because it is so different from the view of the Pharisees and, and the, the, the self-righteous religious crowd who, who are still with us today. In this statement, Jesus makes two very simple but profound points. Point number one, he has come for the specific purpose of bringing a cure to the sinfully sick. That's why he came, to cure the sinfully sick. He even makes the contrast that it is to the sinfully sick that he has come and not to those who are well. Now, now Jesus isn't saying that or even implying that there are people who have no need of the cure which he's bringing. As God, he knows the truth that the Apostle Paul is later going to write in the, in the book of Romans, in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no man, there is no woman that has ever been born into this world that has no need for the cure that Jesus came to offer. So Jesus knows this. But Jesus is simply relating to the Pharisees through their own spiritual warped logic that they're applying, how the Pharisees see themselves as spiritually superior, as spiritually healthy, and and they need no cure of sin. They've already cured themselves from their sin. And, And they see people like Matthew and others like him as the ones who are really sinfully sick. So Jesus is simply using their logic in his response to them. And he's saying that, okay, if Matthew and the ones are the ones who need that are sick, well, then where would you expect me to be? I'm going to go bring the cure to them. They need the cure. They're the ones that are sick. I won't waste my time on the ones who are healthy, you see. And don't need a cure. It's not that Jesus didn't think they needed a cure, but they didn't think they needed a cure. So Jesus is saying, I'm not going to waste my time on you. Second point, and I think it's an even more important point. If he, as a physician of the soul, which is what Jesus is really saying he is, a physician of the soul, has, has the cure for sickness, then why wouldn't he go to where the sick people are in order to help cure them? Why wouldn't he go to where they are in order to bring them the cure that they need? Why, why wouldn't he make house calls? Do you, anybody remember the days when doctors did that? That was so cool. If you got sick, he came to your house, you know. I know that was back in the Stone Ages, but, you know, I remember it, so it makes me old, I guess. 
But why would Jesus waste his time hanging around with people who thought they were well and ignore going to the places where, that have, where the sick have gathered? Why would he do that? And that's exactly what he's doing by being at Matthew's house and at this party that Matthew is hosting, which has drawn a crowd of sinfully sick people. Think about this, not just Matthew, but Matthew's drawn a whole crowd of these people together. Jesus isn't there to participate or to condone their sinful behavior, but he's there because that's where the sick have gathered. And now he has the opportunity to reach them with the cure that they so desperately need, even according to the Pharisees. He has the medicine that can, that can reverse everything associated with their sin sickness, but he needs to be with them to ultimately make them aware of that so that they can receive the cure that they need. You know, today you and I, we carry that cure that can make the sinfully sick well. Do you know that? We carry it. We don't, we don't, we are not the cure. <laughs> Jesus was the cure. The cure he was offering was himself. We can't offer ourselves as the cure, but we carry the cure, the medicine that sick, this sick, sin, sick world needs. We carry it. It's called the gospel. And we've been called to go and to preach the gospel. And we need to go where the sinfully sick are, where they've gathered, it's, if we want to see them made well. We can't expect them to come to us for the cure. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.